Yes. You guys ready to kick off the end? The Summer of Slaughter? Yes. With Charles fucking Manson? I feel like I'm going to be listening to the next three weeks of his music. Well, I mean, I, I've been... And I might start my own fucking cult and go kill everybody. <laughs> go kill Sharon Tate. She's already dead. I'm going to have to find a new target. Again. Find a new target. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm very excited. I'm uh, I've put in hell of fucking research into this. So let's just go I ahead and get into this. it. Let's let's just go ahead and get into this shit. I mean, there's no, there's no speculation. We all know what happened for the most part. Oh, we yeah. will be following uh, using Manson in his own words as a main source and not Helter Skelter. Just... <laughs> For, for that reference. was the book that that guy was referencing. Right? Pugliosi, yeah. Vincent Pugliosi wrote that. Um, I don't necessarily believe everything that was written in that book. The Helter Skelter? Yeah. And it is the best true crime novel as far as sellers go. But, yeah, there's just some in- inconsistencies that have come out over the years. So, without further ado, guys... Welcome to Creeps in the Crypt, and I'm Eric, and I'm joined by Christian and Sam. Hi. Thank you for doing my introduction for me. You were vaping, so. (laughs) I was totally going to say something. Well, feel free. The floor is yours. I was going to say something witty, but I feel like the excitement that you guys have, (laughs) both of you, and I've been kind of left in the dark. I mean, I've been sent, like, stuff. And to watch these episodes with Eric. And I feel like that this is going to get really... Because, I mean, obviously, like, who hasn't heard of Charles Manson? I literally bought a set of bowls. Like, I have serial killer but bowls. But to somebody... Because they had Charles Manson on. And it came broken. Mm. I'm so sorry. But I've got Richard I'm Ramirez, sure, Jeffrey sure Dahmer, and... That if he was able else. to, he would buy you your a new set with just his face on them. I'm just he gonna might start even doing Charles. His own ass cheek on there. Yeah. Love that. <laughs> Love that. If I was Charles Manson, and I found out that you had a broken blade. I would. Well, he's I dead was, now. So I was willing to wait I said, for her to make a new one, but she just refunded me my money, and I was oh, like, "That's not." That's I would join I pottery class just so I could make you a plate and They're put so my good. ass cheek. Perfect. Just one. There you go. Maybe just front one. And center. It wouldn't just, be a set. No, I would not make it. Well, if she, <laughs> it wouldn't be a set. For Sam, she would have a set. I would have. I would have one ass set. cheek on each one. Partial ball. <laughs> I'm going to be in the role of Charles Manson today. <laughs> I can't wait to hear this. <laughs> You've been. Have you been? They stolen her eyes, man, and turned them into a business. <laughs> great. You, you dig? <laughs> that was a great impersonation. I feel like, have you been doing this when I'm like at work? Yes. <laughs> I, I just like, instead of what would Jesus do, bracelets, I'm like, what would Charlie do? Dude, there was a guy that used to come into King Street, Wild Bill. Oh, do you know he died? Please don't bring up Wild He, he would come in and have a free Charlie shirt on and <laughs> he, had a, he had a swastika awesome. on his tooth. He like did it himself. How the fuck do you he tattooed his tooth. Yeah. It was real. He was we great. We saw it. What do you do? Melt down a comb prison style? He used to uh, buy me and Katie redhead slut shots because we were both redheads. There you go. He was the best. He was the best tipper, too. <laughs> Damn right. Man, how do you s- tattoo a swastika on your tooth? <laughs> I don't know. If, if you saw what Wild Bill. Wild Bill looked like, <laughs> you would be like, 
that man is Charles Manson reincarnated. I mean, it's it's like spitting image. And when he would talk to you, you'd be like sitting there like, what the fuck is he talking about? He would always wear the free Charlie shirts. Yes. Charlie's like, a, Charles Manson was like a cool dude that you could probably like talk to at a bus stop or something. That's about where Wild Bill was. <laughs> bus stop. Yeah, it's like one of those guys you like just run into at a bar and <laughs> end up having like a four hour conversation with him. Oh my God. Is that what you would want? Oh, 100%. I would have a beer, a uh, beer with Charlie Manson. I'd have a beer with Ed Kemper. 10,000%. And then he'd cut your head off and fuck it. But, um, no, I don't think I know. I wasn't in his wheelhouse. I was not in his victimology. I don't know. Jeffrey Dahmer. We could share. Well, those little boys. Weren't they boys? Yeah, but I would just enjoy. Just, well, she'd be safe. Yes. But so let's get I. into That's this. Insane. We'd be able to talk about things. Let's go ahead and start this. <laughs> we could talk about things. Life lessons. <laughs> there we go. All right. <laughs> you guys ready? Yeah. Let's get into the childhood of Charles Manson. Charles Manson was born to a 15-year-old runaway named Kathleen Maddox. On Monday, November 12th, 1934, at a Cincinnati, Ohio hospital. He was first named No Name Maddox. However, within weeks, he was renamed Charles Miles Maddox. Charlie's father, Colonel Walker Henderson Scott Sr., was an Army man stationed nearby. When Kathleen told him that she was pregnant, Scott fled the area, never to return. Therefore, it's likely that young Charles Manson never met his real father. Charles later obtained the last name Manson from William Eugene Manson, who Kathleen began dating in 1934. Manson was a heavy drinker and would be missing for days at a time. Sounds like a wonderful father figure. Wonderful. Yeah, you trade one for the other. <laughs> she has a great track record at 15. So let's see she has where a she, fantastic track record. Let's let see where she you. goes with this. Please, please tell me more. Mm. <laughs> Kathleen's relationship with William Manson didn't last long, and he was out of Charles's young life before Charles could develop any memories of the man whose name he took. The two divorced just three years later in 1937, and Kathleen moved back home to Kentucky with her mother. As Kathleen struggled with her own alcoholic tendencies, she too would go missing for days at a time. She'd leave young Charles Manson to fend for himself or with a variety of babysitters while she was bar hopping and hanging around various men getting into trouble. Manson's mother once sold him to a woman who wanted a child for, wait for it, a pitcher of beer. This Mother is of one beer. of my favorite fucking Manson stories. <laughs> this is this one's your favorite. This is like one of my favorite. One of. Like, he corrected himself on that one. He said one of. One of. Yeah. We all know like, my favorite one. The fact that um, his mom's just like taking her baby to a fucking bar. And it's like, I sell this baby for a pitcher of beer. What's wrong with that? Who doesn't take their baby to the bar? Dude, I in, don't know. In the book, um, Manson in his own words, he like actually talks about this. He's like, Mom was in a cafe one afternoon with me on her lap. The waitress, a would-be mother without a child of her own, jokingly told my mom she'd buy me from her. My mom replied, for a pitcher of beer, and he's yours. 
The waitress set up the beer. Mom stuck around long enough to finish it off and left the place without me. Several days later, my uncle had to search the whole town for the waitress and take me home. Is that your Charlie impression? Yeah. That's fantastic. Thank you. Thank <laughs> He's been practicing. I've, I've been doing Charlie voice like a ton. I don't know how I feel about that. He, he's got a lot of space in my brain right now. I noticed that. All right. So his uncle had to search the entire town. A pitcher of beer. For the woman who bought him for a pitcher of beer. I love how she sat there to watch it fit. Like the waitress. I wonder what she was thinking. Like, is she really going to leave this baby with me? Well, here's the real fun thought. What happens if the woman actually raised Charlie and he ended up being a decent human being? Right? He could have cured cancer. Well, let's not go that far. Well, he could have. Maybe. We don't know. We'll never know. It would be really funny if he was like a group therapist. <laughs> like on the other side of it. <laughs> he worked for like underprivileged children. Like well, he that. still kind of did work with underprivileged children. Yes, this is very yeah, okay. I mean, but on the other You are like mirroring what actually happened. <laughs> so. Okay, never mind. Maybe never. He never did anything and nothing ever happened. He, he got an office job. That yeah. would be the, <laughs> the opposite. Could you imagine? And just He's just the male guy. Yeah, like, can you imagine just like looking at photos of him and him like in a suit? I imagine him being like Charlie Day. Um, <laughs> character when him and Matt get office jobs in uh, It's Always Sunny. Yeah, he's like, it's show. Pepe Sylvia! Where he's like got the, the poster board and it's got all the strings oh, attached it. to the shit. Oh, and the meme, he's yeah. like... Yeah. yeah. That one? That. Yeah. Okay. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, that's what I imagine Manson in an office setting would be like. Like setting up a, like a talk-through <laughs> meeting. He's like, I don't understand why all these people are getting mail and they ain't in an office. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining him pushing the mail cart with all their mail. Yes. Little five foot five Charles Manson. He was only five foot five. Yeah, he was only five foot five. He's a small dude. He's a, he's an adorable fella. Oh my god, an adorable like a, fella. He's like a little teddy bear. Yeah, with a swastika carved in his head, but uh, <laughs> well, he wouldn't. He wouldn't have that in the alternate reality. Maybe, maybe he would. We that would be hilarious. That. Have a mailman with a swastika tattoo on his forehead. I mean, we had a regular with a swastika on his tooth. I've had a hard life. <laughs> I've, I've seen some shit. I've seen some shit. <laughs> Kathleen was involved in a robbery in 1939. She and a friend had met a stranger named Frank Martin, who took them out for drinks. Kathleen decided that Frank had, quote, too much money for one man. And called her brother Luther to help rob him. She talked Frank into driving her, her friend, and Luther to a hotel. Then, when they made it out of town, Luther made Frank stop and get out of his car. Luther then held a ketchup bottle filled with salt to Frank's back and claimed that he had a gun. Frank saw through the lie, but Luther just beat him in the head with the bottle and took his money anyway. The group escaped with $27 and were arrested shortly after. This is like the lamest robbery <laughs> of literally all the time. worst. I want to know how the ketchup bottle was full of salt. They filled it with salt. Why? So, but like, were they just going to So like, it would have the weight to it. Okay, but I'm saying, like, who has the time to fill up a ketchup bottle with Luther. salt? Luther. 
I do like Kath. I, I'm sorry. I'm really loving the mother's thought process of like he has too much money for one man. Yeah, yeah. I'm okay with that. I mean, it's it's just socialism. She was robbing, <laughs> robbing, hooding like she was. She yeah, was like, but instead of the giving it to, to the other poor, yeah, she's just giving it to herself. <laughs> Somebody's got to buy these diapers for this bastard child. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much what it was. <laughs> Except she got $27 and then just split it with two well, other this people. Isn't the, what was Can this? you imagine how much Similac you could get for $27 in 1934? Probably a lot, actually. She'd be set. 27 bucks back then's probably got to be at least like 125 now. I don't know. Probably. With inflation. Yeah. Oh my God! Because of inflation, I don't think that they were really expecting that when they bought that or did that <laughs> whole situation. While she was serving out her sentence at the West Virginia State Prison in Moundsville, Charlie lived with his grandmother, Uncle Bill, and Aunt Glenna in McMichen, West Virginia. McMichen. The Maddox family wasn't particularly rich. So it took a little creativity to make Christmas a magical holiday. One year, his grandmother got him nothing more than a hairbrush. She said, quote, if you brush your hair with it, you'll be able to fly like Superman. That's cute. That is cute. I love that. It's adorable. Something tells me it's going to not be cute. It's probably not. Charlie believed her and went around brushing his hair and jumping as high as he could. Which soon brought ridicule. That's to like the anime kids that run up walls. Yo, I had some kid go down the hallways at school like a car. Like, <laughs> like literally. I love that. Shifting. Oh, hello, daddy. Reminds me of JP from Grandma's Boy. <laughs> Come, stop it. Like he like. Oh, I love that. The whatever it's called. I don't know. What Those are the people you want to be friends with. He was yeah, really because nice. If they you ever shoot up actually. the school, yeah, they're gonna they're let not you, gonna they're gonna fucking kill you. They're gonna be like, you should leave, and you're like, why? I just got here. No, but don't you come sh- to school tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, don't come. To, they're putting lipstick on. I'm crossing your name off their list. <laughs> I'm going into fifth gear tomorrow. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I can't. So to make things worse, his classmates had all been gifted a fortune. In toys, which they showed off gleefully. Overcome by jealousy, he came to believe that they were doing so to mock him. Charlie got his revenge with his first recorded act of violence. He gathered up every toy he could find that belonged to someone he knew, threw them all on a woodpile, and set them on fire. I'm okay with this. Yeah. Vengeance is sweet. (laughs) Did he dance around the fire and brush his hair? Please tell me he did. We're going to go with that. I'm I like that that was 100% what should have happened. So anyway, there I was like brushing my hair. <laughs> watching them toys burn. <laughs> Jumping and flying like Superman. I like it. I'm going like, with it. Do you like where my brain is going yeah. with this? I told you, I'm warm and comfy in your brain. <laughs> Just like doing like some kind of fucking medicine dance around a fucking <laughs> fire of burning toys. Okay with it, yes. <laughs> Brushing his hair. For years, Charlie was forced to visit his mother in the bleak prison and was never able to hug his mom. He was only able to see her through thick glass 
and she sat amongst other more serious criminals like rapists and murderers. That has to be a hard thing yeah. to sit on the other side. And I wonder, how old is he at this point? He couldn't be that old. Like, He's not that old. Like six, seven. Something like that. Yeah, like six, it, like seven. That's just, he, he describes it as one of his first memories. Charlie also had a difficult time at school as a young boy. According to those who knew him, he was placed into the classroom of a first grade teacher with a notorious reputation. In her class, students were placed with what she deemed your intelligence. So she would place people together, the smart kids, the not so smart kids. I believe the dum-dums is what. I'm not going to call a kid a dum-dum. Charlie was placed in the dum-dum bracket. Okay, sorry. I don't know why that dumb teacher placed me in the dum-dum bracket. (laughs) He was placed in the back of the room. I guess that's where the dumb kids sit. That's where the bad kids sit. This was a bad kid set, definitely. That was obviously this is it. Yeah, same. This is like the forties. <laughs> so, right in this one, it was like yeah. Was, okay, so when he starts, I first think so. Grade, yeah, they moved on from the dumb ones to the dumb and like awful kids, and they're like, I'm putting y'all's asses in the back where you can cause less trouble. But jokes <laughs> on you because we're gonna cause just as much trouble back here. <laughs> Just like the ones that are... I'm going to try harder now. Yeah, like just like the ones that move you because you're talking to somebody. But joke's on you, bitch, because I'll talk to anybody. (laughs) Right? (laughs) After the first day of school, Charlie came home sobbing, but he wouldn't find any sympathy from his uncle, who was horrified that a young boy was crying. His uncle picked out a dress from his cousin Joanne's closet and forced Charlie to wear it to school. That's some fucked up shit, dude. Could you imagine the ridicule he got that day? Oh, dude, just up to this point, his life is just like... Shit. Yeah. It's a fucking shit show. It was downhill since birth. Like, he was birthed into a cold fucking world. Yeah. So, I mean, it's... We're already seeing the foundation of somebody who is just given a bad hand. It really kind of goes towards, like, the nature versus nurture. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Although Kathleen was given a five-year sentence for the robbery, she was paroled after three years and reunited with her son in 1942. Charlie later characterized the first weeks after she returned from prison as the happiest time in his life. His mother had dismissed him and tried to sell him. But when she came home, she did something that was rare in Manson's life. She hugged him. It seems like a small gesture, but to a love-starved boy, it meant a lot. So much so that later in his life, Manson would look back on that hug and call it his sole happy childhood memory. That's really sad. I mean, he loved his mom. so sad. He loved his mom. So, on an aspect of, like, just, like, opening this up for the floor... With kids, they will always see you as their biggest hero, and they will never see you in really a negative light. You can do no wrong. You could be, like, the biggest piece of shit parent ever, and your kids will still love you, like, unconditionally because they're like, you're my parent. You're responsible for me. Even though yeah, you're a piece extent. of shit, yeah. you, I still love you because... I mean, in the book, he goes on to talk about his mom... 
Yeah. And uh, he says, Charlie voice again. Yeah, I'm doing Charlie voice. <laughs> of course. Any excuse to do Charlie voice. All, all the Charlie voices. Uh, so in the book, he says, other writers have betrayed my mom as a teenage whore because she just happens to be the mother of Charles, Man- Charles Manson. She is downgraded. I prefer to think of her as a flower child in the 30s, 30 years ahead of her time. <laughs> like, the fact that she's just giving out free pussy in the 30s. That's why all these... Is I that d- what he meant by flower child? Yeah. Got it. Like, yeah. That's, that's exactly what he meant. <laughs> After they reunited and Kathleen continued her abusive parenting habits, but by this time, Charlie was becoming his own problem, getting arrested and finding trouble around every corner. He continually played truant, and his mother spent her evenings drinking. His mother was arrested for grand larceny, but not convicted. And Charlie was around this time starting to pickpocket. So, he like, the dudes that she would try to date would, like, not hang around long because they just described him as like a creepy kid or a sneaky kid because he would just like steal shit from them. He would like pick their pockets. <laughs> they would get like they're getting pussy and then not not getting anything really. He's gonna take their wallet. Doesn't mean take their wallet. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Mm. It's like the best version of like stealing something. <laughs> oh, you're gonna come over here and sleep with my mama? I'm gonna steal your shit. <laughs> I'm gonna steal your wallet. It's like a souvenir shop that comes to my house. (laughs) He also added that her reasons for leaving home were no different than the kids he knew in the 1960s who chose to be homeless over catering to the demands of parents who only viewed things as they believed they should be viewed. The family later moved to Indianapolis where Kathleen met an alcoholic man named Lewis through Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, and married him in August of 1943. That's good. She's she's trying Fantastic to get help. Fantastic decision help, like decision making. It's great. Charlie said that when he was nine, he set his school on fire. He also continuously got in trouble for truancy and petty theft. Although there were a lack of foster home placements in 1947. At the age of 13, his mother sent him to the Gibbled, Gibbled, Gibbled School for Boys in Terre Haute, Indiana. Gibbled was a school for juvenile delinquents and was run by Catholic priests. Oh, what could go wrong there? <laughs> Nothing, obviously. A school of young delinquent boys run by Catholic priests? <laughs> Sounds like being a priest in a candy store. <laughs> Gibbled was a strict school where punishment for even the tiniest infraction included beatings with either a wooden paddle or a leather strap. Manson ran away from Gibbled and slept in the woods, under bridges, and wherever he could find shelter. Charlie escaped, then fled home to his mother and spent Christmas of 1947 in McMitchin at his aunt and uncle's house. His mother returned him to Gibbled. Ten months later, he ran away to Indianapolis. So his mother, who he loved unconditionally, not only basically gave him up at 13, just like, I don't want this fucking kid anymore. Y'all take him. Came home, uh, and then she took him back. (laughs) 
That's awful. In 1948, in Indianapolis, Manson committed his first known crime by robbing a grocery store. At first, the robbery was simply to find something to eat. However, Manson found a cigar box containing just over $100, and he took the money. He used the money to rent a room on Indianapolis's Skid Row and to buy food. So at 12 years old, Charles Manson has a fucking place to stay and he's just being a criminal. And the reason he like picked a city was because it, he knew it'd be harder for the police to find him in a bigger city. Yeah. Like the fact that his brain went there at 12 is, is a little concerning. Yeah. To say the least. For a time, Manson tried to go straight by getting a job delivering messages for Western Union. However, he quickly began to supplement his wages through petty theft. He was eventually caught, and in 1949, a sympathetic judge sent him to Boys Town, a juvenile facility in Omaha, Nebraska. After four days at Boys Town, he and fellow student Blackie Nielsen obtained a gun, and stole a car. They used it to commit two armed robberies on their way home of Nielsen's uncle in Peoria, Illinois. Nielsen's uncle was a professional thief, and when the boys arrived, he allegedly took them on as apprentices. What is this, like fucking Hogwarts for criminals? Oh, no. <laughs> what house are you getting sorted into? <laughs> Petty theft. I get to do arson. <laughs> Charlie was arrested two weeks later during a nighttime raid on a Peoria store. In the investigation that followed, he was linked to his two earlier armed robberies. He was sent to the Indiana Boys School, a strict reform school. So this is the school that fucked Manson up the worst. Like, in in the book, he says that it, the only nice thing he could say about the place was it had a nice front lawn. It's the only thing he <laughs> said about it, the place. Because that's that's important. Like, that's the only redeeming fact. He had a nice front lawn. That, that's a great redeeming quality. Like, the this landscape. place fucked him up. And it ma- it honestly made incarcerated life easy for Charlie. It made it easy for him. Because yeah. this place was such a fucking, just, bane to existence. Jesus. At the school, other students allegedly raped Manson with the encouragement of a staff member, and he was repeatedly beaten. So the staff member, like a guard, basically, because there was um, like little shops and shit that they made the boys work in. Mm -hmm. They took raw silage and the guard spit chewing tobacco into it and shoved it up Charlie Manson's ass and said, all right, boys, I lubed him up. Have at him. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, tobacco and raw silage. I don't know what that is. What's silage? It's like fucking corn and shit. Like corn They corn hold him. Yeah, basically. Okay. While at the school, Charlie developed a self-defense technique he later called the insane game. When he was physically unable to defend himself... He would screech, grimace, and wave his arms to convince aggressors that he was insane. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I feel that. I feel like that's going to play in later on. (laughs) I feel like that will, too. 
After a number of failed attempts, he escaped with two other boys in February of 1951. The three escapees were robbing filling stations while attempting to drive to California in stolen cars when they were arrested in Utah. For the federal crime of driving a stolen car across state lines, he was sent to the National Training School for Boys in Washington, D.C. On arrival, he was given an aptitude test, which determined that he was illiterate, but had an above-average IQ of 109. His caseworker deemed him aggressively antisocial. Can I identify as that, too? Aggressively antisocial. <laughs> Is this the only socialization you have? <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, no! Other than work. <laughs> and you have listeners that listen you, to you every week. Can you add that on your list? Added. <laughs> Please add that on your list for your episode. Please. Got it. <laughs> On a psychiatrist's recommendation, he was transferred in October of 1951 to Natural Bridge Honor Camp, a minimum security institution. His aunt visited him and told administrators she would let him stay at her house and would help him find work. He had a parole hearing scheduled for February of 1952. However, in January, he was caught raping a boy at knife point. Charlie was transferred to the Federal Reformatory in Petersburg, Virginia. There he committed a further eight serious disciplinary offenses, three involving homosexual acts. Dude, I feel like this happens all the time at these like reform schools, like just blatant, just you have a bunch of teen boys that don't have any female interaction and they just end up fucking each other. But Charlie says that the only climax I ever had was from jacking off or sticking some punk in the butt. Having a wet dream wasn't even possible for me. Sticking some punk in the butt. I love that fucking quote, dude. You would. That's just fucking funny to me. He was then moved to a maximum security reformatory in Ohio, where he was expected to remain until his release on his 20th birthday in November of 1955. Good behavior led to an early release in May of 1954 to live with his aunt and uncle in McMeachin. At 19 years old, Charles Manson's childhood had officially ended. And what a rough fucking childhood it had been. Yeah. Yeah. Boarding school. Rape. So he has spent fucking a long ass time behind bars. Mm -hmm. Or at a reform school. Yeah. So from 13 to 19, he's been incarcerated. That's his entire like teenage years. Other than like the few times he escaped and fucking... Yeah, Got but caught again. he wasn't supposed to be out. No. No. In 1955, Charlie, who had finally earned his freedom the legal way, married his first wife, 15-year-old local waitress named Rosalie Jean Willis. For a brief time, he found honest employment and lived a quiet life. He later convinced the pregnant Willis to move to Los Angeles, 
He stole a vehicle to drive them out west. He got caught and was sentenced to three years at Terminal Island, San Pedro, California. During his prison stay there, his wife met another man and was planning to divorce Charles. Once he found out, he tried to escape. He was caught and lost his chance at an upcoming parole. When Manson was released from prison, he began pimping for a living. Not long after he started his new career, he was caught forging a U.S. Treasury check in the amount of $37.50. He was arrested and given a 10-year suspended sentence and probation after a young woman (coughs) named Leona, who had an arrest record for prostitution, made a tearful plea before the court that she and Manson were deeply in love and would marry Charlie if freed. Before the year's end, the woman did marry Manson, possibly so she would not be able to testify against him. What's crazy is, like, when he was in Terminal Island, he was like, fuck it, because his wife was leaving him. He's like, fuck it, I'm going to be a pimp. So he'd ask all these fucking dudes to give him tips and tricks on how to be a pimp, and they told him, like... Pimping ain't easy? He's like, <laughs> like he <laughs> says, they told him that you gotta tell her that she's the only one that matters, and she's the most important thing in your world, and she needs to sell her pussy for you. Got it. Manson took Leona and another woman to New Mexico for purposes of prostitution, resulting in him being held in question for violating the Mann Act. Though he was released, Manson correctly suspected that the investigation had not ended. The FBI was surveilling him, hoping to bust him for violating the Mann Act, which forbade the transportation of prostitutes across state lines. They were never able to bring the charge, but when Manson disappeared to Mexico with another prostitute. So, this is like my favorite fucking deal with Manson before the cult stuff. (laughs) Before the cult stuff. Like, his mom's selling him for beer. That's small potatoes compared to this. (laughs) So, this is what Manson had to say about going going to Mexico. I headed south and ended up in Mexico City. I had some dollars in my pocket, so I partied and mingled with the bullfighters. I met a couple of the lesser-known matadors and spent a few days learning to use the cape and sword. Of course, the bulls were only half-grown and the sword was never thrust into the animal, but even half-grown, those suckers weighed four to five hundred pounds and can send a guy flying. After picking my ass up off the ground a few times, I learned how to handle the cape and could stay as close to the bull without getting touched as some of the matadors. They would say to me, you good gringo, they told me. <laughs> you got all the moves, but you'll never be a matador. You're not tall enough. <laughs> I'm never tall enough for anything I can, except kids' rides. I would love to see five foot five Charles Manson trying to bullfight. That is just hilarious to me. <laughs> In his little, like, get up. Oh my god, with that's the, all I'm imagining. With the frilly collar, that's literally all I'm envisioning. He probably right like now. watched Jackass on the TV in prison. <laughs> it's like, I was doing that in the 50s. <laughs> Let me tell you about this one time. When he disappeared in violation of his probation, a bench warrant was issued. 
an indictment for violation of the Mann Act followed in April of 1960. On June 1, 1960, Charles was deported from Mexico. He was expelled from Mexico as an undesirable alien and was taken into custody by FBI agents. Charlie was arrested in Laredo, Texas, and was returned to Los Angeles. So another really good Charles Manson story in Mexico because basically there's a lot of, uh, I had to do a lot of fucking digging for this to get this information because there's, there's just a gap in his history, but he goes on in the book to say, I earned some respect from a group of people by being so ignorant. I didn't know where to stop. I had stolen a 357 from one of the haciendas I had visited with some jailhouse Spanish and a kind of hand signal I had seen the scouts use in the movies. I walked into the Yaqui Indian camp like I belonged there, intending to trade the Magnum for some mushrooms. I pulled the gun from my pants, pointing at the guy who was talking. I said, buy this mushroom? The gun looked threatening, but that wasn't the way I meant it to be. So I handed the gun to the one who said he'd give me some mushrooms. As soon as the gun was in his hands, he pointed it at me and said, you loco, I kill. He stuck the gun in my stomach and pulled the trigger. When he stopped that there was there weren't any shells in it, the four of them started laughing. Even the Federales heard about the macho gringo who friended the Yaki. They told me all about it after they arrested me. Oh, Senor Manson, we heard all about you. The United States say send you back to Texas. Two weeks later, I was booked and in the Laredo jail. So basically, the Indians he scored uh, off of uh, wound him up mid-trip and called the Federales. Uh, so they dropped him off at Laredo once they spotted his warrant. <laughs> fucking, so he bought these mushrooms off the fucking Indians with a goddamn gun, and they thought he was trying to rob them. So they were like, nope, not today. Satan. Yeah, they're like, this guy's fucking nuts. <laughs> For violating his probation on the check cashing charge, he was ordered to serve his 10-year sentence. Charlie spent a year trying unsuccessfully to appeal the revocation of his probation. In July of 1961, he was transferred from the L.A. County Jail to the McNeil Island Prison in Washington. There, he took guitar lessons from Barker gang member Alvin Creepy Carpus. So this dude had like 14 counts of murder under him. Fantastic. Yeah, he's like big time. But I bet he can play the mean shit out of a fucking guitar. <laughs> he was big into like steel guitar. So he was playing like that old, old shit. After he had become proficient on the guitar, he asked Carpus for help getting a job playing in Las Vegas as Carpus had contacts with the nightclub and casino owners there. But Carpus decided to leave Charlie on his own regarding his music career. This is like the first thing Charlie Manson has become passionate about outside of crime. This is this is like everything from here on out is about his music career. Everything. It all stems from this moment. One of my favorite facts about Charlie Manson. It's amazing. <laughs> While he was in prison in 1961, he was dabbling in a number of different religions and reportedly found Scientology appealing because of its mind control tactics. He also said that he had pursued that religion in order to, quote, understand his own mind. 
Mansus cellmate Lafayette Raymer. 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 Whose real name turned out to be Lanier Raymer was a trained auditor who put him through various Scientology processes, including CCH, which is Control Communication Havingness processes, with the auditor asking paired questions like, who have you helped and who have you not helped? And other havingness questions like, what can you have? Look around and find something you can have. Charlie had undergone some 150 hours of auditing while he was at the McNeil Island Penitentiary. During this time, he also took courses based on Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, which, quote, seemed to formally codify all the instinctive ways Charlie had manipulated people since childhood. In 1963, Leona was granted a divorce. During the process, she alleged that she and Manson had a son, Charles Luther. In June of 1966, Manson was sent for the second time to Terminal Island in preparation for early release. Among his fellow prisoners during the time was Danny Trejo, who participated in several hypnosis sessions. It's really cool to watch the interviews with Danny Trejo talking about this shit. Like, he's like, yeah, man, that guy was like... He just hypnotized people, but he was using like his fucking Scientology shit Jesus. on other prisoners. It some wild shit, man. By the time of his release day on March 21st, 1967, he had spent more than half of his 32 years in prisons and other institutions. Telling the authorities that prison had become his home, he requested permission to stay. It's so fucking sad. He's like, I'm so happy here. He was just, he was playing music and just fucking around. And he, I mean, he would spend all of his time I mean, writing that's all songs. He knows. But this was the same time that like Johnny Cash was doing like live from Folsom Prison and like uh-huh. these big stars would come to these huge prisons to test out new band members. So Charlie's like, Look, man, I got the musicians coming to me. <laughs> Thinking he's, that's his ticket out is to fucking get, get in with one of these rock stars. At the time. Charlie was 32 and looking at an empty future. That's when he made his way to the Haight-Ashbury district in San Francisco, then the center of the counterculture movement. He didn't believe in the counterculture, but he had wild eyes and long hair, and so he looked the part. He was able to blend in to the burgeoning hippie scene and began to exercise his ability to manipulate, control people, and started to assemble his notorious family. So we have to remember, Charlie Manson has missed the greater part of the 60s. Yeah. So the hippie movement's already on its decline at this point. Like it's starting to just dwindle down because you can't have a movement where everybody's just fucked up all the time. These people that are in this area are basically just like, Remember all the homeless kids, Christian, when we went to uh, New Orleans? Yes. It, it's that type of crowd. Yeah. Just when fucking we went, people that are living on the streets because they think it's cool to live on the streets. There was so much of that. And it's like they just like wake up and they all go hang out on the street and and ask for money or try to trick you into giving them money or whatever. 
So, I mean, this is like, this is their life. And there's like mm-hmm. always a leader. And yeah, they're all sitting around the one dude that's sitting up above the rest of them. There's always a group of them. Yeah. It's fucking weird. I mean, I saw that in the one, I don't remember which street corner we were, but it was like the one, none of them talked to us. None of them did. But the one dude who was in the middle, that was in the middle of the whole group, tried mm-hmm. to ask Eric like some stupid ass question that would like incline him to answer wrong and then give him money because mm-hmm. he answered wrong or like a bet mm-hmm. kind of way. And Eric was just like, nah, dude. And then as soon as he sat down, they were all talking again. And then another person walked by. And he was the only one who was the it's manipulation. It's like there's always a fucking leader. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. So, we are going to end this episode now with Charlie Manson being turned loose on the world in the center of the hippie movement. The Haight-Ashbury District. start his family. And where we pick up next week... Will be introduced to the family. I'm excited. The key players of the family. Because at its height, the family had over 100 members. That's insane. Yeah. So we're going to only go over the key players. Okay. But all right, guys. Uh, that's going to wrap up the first part of Charlie Manson. Mm-hmm. And if you would like to hear part two. Subscribe. Yeah, subscribe. <laughs> and hear our past episodes. So you can find us on Instagram. You can find find everything. You can find look on everywhere. any social except for Twitter. Yep. And we don't have a YouTube yet, but we're working on it. Yep. I'm excited for the YouTube. Yes. Yep. You got so big plans for that. Make but sure you guys are downloading the episodes. Make sure you guys are reviewing the episodes. Yep. And Please it, rate and review the show on Apple Podcast. It means a ton to us. And that's how we get good feedback. Mm-hmm. And if you say a topic that you like, we will probably cover it in a later episode. Mm-hmm. Yes. We are down for listener suggestions. Yes. So, all right, guys. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. And we'll see you next week. Stay creepy. Stay Bye. creepy. <laughs>